Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. Uh, I am James Johnson, and as always, I'm here with my good buddy, Nick Houston. Nick, how you doing today? Hey, hey! Glad to be here again. <laughs> we have an, we have a very special guest with us today uh, on the podcast, the Dr. Bill Birch, Senior Pastor of Northside Church. Bill, how are you doing today? I am great, James. Thank you so much for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> it's an illustrious pleasure to have you on the pod with us. Absolutely. We've I been... feel illustrated. <laughs> We've been waiting for a long time to uh, have Bill on the podcast with us, but we wanted to make sure we knew what we were doing before we had Bill in the room with us. But, uh, but. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with us today. Um, we usually start off by asking uh, our guests a little bit about themselves. We want people. One of the one of the goals of this podcast is for people at Northside to get to know our staff and the people who serve here. Um, so, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about where you came from and why you got into ministry and how you ended up at Northside. Sure. Grew up in Decatur, Georgia. We attended Columbia Drive High School in the DeKalb County system. Then, when I was in ninth grade, we moved to Woodstock. Grew up in the church, was born, baptized in the United Methodist Church. Youth group was extremely formative for me, and on a youth retreat, gave my life to Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. A year later, our congregation had Sunday evening worship, and we had prayer time at the end. And it was one of those moments I went to pray, and I always wish I could say there was the heavens, heavenly doors open, there was some vision, some audible voice. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove. That would have been great, <laughs> but it was just a, a sense that God was calling me to ordain ministry. Now, I was 13 at the time. I had no clue what that meant. Yeah. Just had some mentors in the ministry who were important to me and just started exploring it, and doors opened and ended up going to Berry College, then to seminary at Emory, Candler School of Theology. Okay, good school. Good Entered school. a full-time ministry in 1982, so I've been at this for a while yeah. now. All right, all right. You felt the call to ministry at 13 years old? Yes, I did, which is an interesting thing for a 13-year-old. That is not among the things I thought a 13-year-old would feel. When I was in seminary, there was an interesting article. I had a great phrase. It's stuck in my memory all these years, precocious identity formation. Hmm. Oh, wow, okay. Well, can you unpack that for us a little bit? It basically said that youth who are called to ministry at an early age in their teens suddenly have this identity thrust upon them. Yeah. And it was interesting because I probably felt, did all the things teenagers do. I just felt a lot guiltier. Right. No, yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I, I had a similar experience where um, I felt I, I summer camp, uh, church summer camp, and I was 12 or 13 years old. And and one, the like Wednesday night service, I gave my life to Jesus. And the Thursday night service, I felt like I was called into the ministry. So wow. And I have that. I remember. Like I'm glad I have a word for it now. But definitely, like doing all the normal things that teenagers do, but feeling a lot more guilty about mm -hmm. it. That's absolutely the way. That's <laughs> that is perfect. That's a great phraseology for it. Yeah. If you make the mistake of telling other people, yeah, and then that, they, you know, they have yeah. these high expect. Oh, you've been called yeah. to the ministry. You shouldn't say or do exactly. that. Exactly. No, that's mm -hmm. the mistake I made. I went home and told my grandmother right away. And. Uh, that, that was, I don't uh, even tell strangers I work for a church now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it's interesting that you said uh, you said that your your time in youth ministry was very formative for you. I think talking to Catherine and Jeff and really everybody we've talked to 
has said the same thing that that the youth ministry that they were a part of as a as a young person was really formative for them mm-hmm. really kind of launched them into their service at church and in their life as a christian and nick you know you have the kind of the same experience mm-hmm. with your uh, time as a youth um so I guess you get them early, right? Uh, that's well, the... see, you think that, but then at the same time, one of the formative things for me as a youth was having adults come in who had lived really hard lives and then found Jesus later in life. Yeah. W- that that their testimony was influential in forming how I wanted to live my life. And, you but would yet, real, live really bad and then convert later and have a great story. I mean, to it tell seems like a plan, like <laughs> just to get some fire insurance. That's what I wanted, and then, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, right. y'all, there's some bad stuff out here. And if you want to hear about it, let me know. <laughs> I, that was part of like my experience was like, uh, and I think a lot of people feel this way. is like you got the sense that, um, I mean, I was born into a Christian family and I, I grew up going to church even before I thought I was a Christian. So I got a sense I was like born Christian almost. And when these people came in who were like, they all they did was drugs and they like, mm-hmm. and I murdered some guy or whatever, you know, like just right. a terrible life or, you know, as, as we would say a terrible yeah. life, you know? Uh, and yet they were like, and then I found Jesus and everything changed, you know? But when I found Jesus, there wasn't like a radical shift in who I was as a person. I didn't feel like that mm-hmm. Paul, Saul to Paul kind of thing uh, going on. And, and it was, uh, I don't disappointing. I don't, can you say that about finding Jesus? But not disappointing, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I was told I should, uh, well, that experience. was the, yeah when you, it has always been a part of life there's not this these extremes to compare to right um and preacher talk is damascus road versus emmaus road okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh and that's uh i think jeff mentioned that too um and that kind of he slower, got it from me it did get it from you yeah, of course he got it from did, me. yeah <laughs> i'm sure he got everything basically <laughs> he knows from you at this point <laughs> Uh, so would you say that yours was a little bit more of an Emmaus Road experience as well, or was it? Did you feel like a big, big shift? Had you been on a lot of drugs before? 13? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, but in one sense, no, it wasn't a big shift because I was morally, ethically, I was probably living the same life yeah. before as after. But yes, for me, I, I can remember the time, the place, the moment, the emotions. It was it was a huge transformative yeah. event yeah. for me. So it was definitely conversion as opposed to some people I've heard who say, I don't remember when I wasn't a Christian. I don't remember when right. I became a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I like what you said about feeling like you were born a Christian. Yeah. That's something to unpack at some point. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it's, I definitely have the, the memory of the moment. And I mean, I know the moment when things changed, but it wasn't, it just wasn't my lifestyle wasn't radically different after that. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I still went to church, you know, three, five times a week whenever the right. church was open. Um, is it possible that you went, did you go by will before you met Jesus and then you changed it to Bill? Or? <laughs> Cause that would be amazing. <laughs> no, but I, in the future stories, that will be how it <laughs> right. That's great. Uh, so you, you you became an ordained minister in 1982, and um, where did you talk, talk, if you don't mind, talk to us a little bit about your, your ministry. Like, where have you been? And, and obviously, Northside's your favorite church, but, absolutely, you know, other, other congregations. Just talk to us a little bit about your experience in ministry. I was having a conversation with a fellow clergy. A lot of us as Methodist ministers tend to divide our lives up into segments of the mm. appointments that we have served, which is kind of an, sense, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at life. I graduated seminary in 1982. From 79 to 82, I served at Kennesaw Methodist during seminary as kind of an assistant pastor slash youth minister. 
1982, I was assigned to what in Methodism is called a two-point charge. In other words, there were two small churches mm-hmm. that had banded together to be a full-time congregation. And you served both of them? Served both of them. Yeah. I'd preach at one, then get in the car and drive to the other and oh, preach must, it in on must Sunday. That must have been fun. That's a, it was, actually. Yeah. It was a really good experience because they had the two services in the morning, Sunday night, so I was getting reps. Yeah, you know, it's true, yeah. The yeah. repetition of doing something Absolutely. helps you become better. Then after serving Mount Carmel and Emory Chapel, we moved to, by this time it was we, because Tracy and I met and married while I was in Noonan. Okay. Then we moved to Mossy Creek Methodist, which is in White County near Cleveland, Georgia. See, I'd never heard any of those words before. I heard Georgia before. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where any of those places are. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a great place to serve. I could walk out the back door and be deer hunting. I mean, it was, it was wow. that sort of community. And then from there, we went to Somerville for four years. Uh, Somerville's claim to fame is uh, Bobby Lee Cook. Okay. And also, um, oh, I just lost the name of Howard Fenster. He was a famous uh, religious folk artist. Yeah, yeah. Their largest employer is Hayes Correctional Institute. Okay, so, so, okay. So, All intriguing right. place to serve. From there, we went to West Point, Georgia for five years. Had an amazing ministry down there. Just a great place, kind of like living in Mayberry. Yeah. Yeah. And from there, we moved to Sam Jones, which is Cartersville First Methodist, and stayed there for, goodness, 13 years. Wow. So if you ask my children, that's home for them. Okay, okay. Then Lawrenceville for four years, and then the north side in 2017. Okay, and so that's that's more than a handful of appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and you already mentioned, you said that, that some, like, it's common for a pastor to, to, to kind of divide up uh, their lives you know, with appointments or whatever, and having those, like, chapter marks. What, what was it like— um, as a you know, talking to Jeff and Catherine. Catherine's been here the, her entire her entire ministry basically. Yeah. Jeff uh, is relatively new to the ministry. I'm I'm curious as to what what's the experience like to have to leave a, a congregation and start over again in a new congregation. Like is is that a hard uh, transition? Is it is it sometimes easier than other times? Is it you know what's that like to have to do that? I mean that seems like that's almost like a military life, right? When people are moving mm-hmm. around military bases all the time. Um, if you don't mind talking a little bit about, about that experience. In some ways, there's little deaths and little resurrections. Mm. There was always some grief in leaving the place, uh, some places more than others. But there was also an excitement in going somewhere new and having the opportunity to engage in a, a new opportunity with additional responsibilities. It, it's hard on family. Yeah. I mean, my wife knew she was marrying a Methodist minister, but I don't know you understand what that truly means. Yeah. Yeah. But I also talk to people like you just said, the military, who mm. move once a year. Yeah. Or people who are uply mobile, upwardly mobile in their vocation that they're moving on a regular basis. So yeah. the hard part of it is I, I feel like when you leave a church, you ought to leave a church. Mm. And that it's detrimental to my uh, successor for me to go back. Sure. And so you try to maintain the friendships. But that's, time that's and distance, do, yeah, yeah. It, it tends to, uh, and that, that, that's probably the grief, yeah. most grief yeah. that's involved in it. I always like to know, and I think that our audience would like to know, <laughs> um, I, I don't think Bill is only just a preacher. Like, what else do you do? <laughs> what else can you do, Bill? <laughs> like, do you, do you only do Bible study for fun? <laughs> What are some of the What are some of your hobbies and other things that you do that might not be church related? You say that I remember as a kid I was convinced the pastors that were at our churches every time I saw them they were in a suit and you know it was back mm-hmm. in the day and 
I was convinced they slept in a suit and that, that they stayed at the church, that that was their life. Yeah. And, and I'm sure some people have that same image of pastors today. Well, it's the same thing of teachers. You know, when kids see a teacher in the grocery store, it's like, what? You know, what are you doing here? How do you live outside the classroom? Yeah. One of my favorite stories is we had somebody at Sam Jones who had just joined the church and it was a young couple and they were new to Christianity. They were very idealistic and rather naive about what church is. And one day she was sitting next to Tracy and I'd finished the sermon and she leaned over and said, it must be such a blessing to be married to such a spiritual man. <laughs> and my, my wife, God bless her, just laughed in her face. <laughs> so if you haven't gotten the news yet, preachers are human. Right, right. Oh, I enjoy, uh, I love to read. That's one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, we have a Yorkshire Terrier, Sam, who's 13 years old. Uh, walk him a good bit and play. Uh, Love to hike, although that's kind of gotten crowded out of my life. Used to bird hunt, used to deer hunt. That's also kind of gotten crowded out of my life with the schedule. Yeah. Got a three-year-old granddaughter named Hazley, and we yeah. enjoy keeping her on a regular basis. I think, we, I think we both follow her on Facebook pretty, we see pretty regularly. All, all the cute photos yeah. on Facebook. Yep. She's had a photo or two posted. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that um, we, we've been doing over the past um, a couple of sessions is talking a little bit about some of the tradition and, and some of the traditions and experiences that we've had in the church and as well as with some of the um, major holidays. Um, and as we are approaching the Advent uh, season, the, fir- the, the, the beginning of the church year uh, on November 29th, um, I'm, I'm curious as to um, your your favorite traditions concerning Advent and Christmas, kind of keeping those two things separate for just a minute, Advent and Christmas, but most people, we, most of us experience those together. For some people, Christmas starts like Halloween night, right? Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but if we try to understand those two things, two, those two seasons as separate. Going through some, like, some of our traditions, uh, some of our favorite traditions, um, growing up and, and even now, like what, what, how, how have we celebrated? For Advent. For Ad, I want to start with Advent. We're starting we with Advent. Christmas, yeah. So in, you, either one of you guys, you have putting up a Christmas share. tree. So the Christmas tree. All right. So the, here's a great debate about the Christmas tree. When do you put it up? When I have time. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> That's a great answer. When does my wife want me to put it up? Yeah. The day after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving. That was our. That was kind of our tradition growing up as well. Do you have a real tree, or um, do you get a real tree, or do you have a fake tree? Yes. How many Christmas trees do you put up, Nate? Well, now we do two, definitely. Uh, she would push for more. I feel like wow. it would be possible. So she's really into Christmas. That's We've got one. Good. See, she's got a room in the front of the house that we call the music room, and she puts an artificial tree in there, white lights, mm. you know, a very particular color palette of Christmas tree for that room. It matches that room. And then we do the fun, festive colored lights on a real tree in the den. Okay. Okay. And that's all the ornaments that the kids have made, or even some that we had from when we were in our own homes. Stuff we made as kids, like it, that Christmas tree is just yeah. But that's the one you everything. hide away if you have visitors or somebody. But yeah, the we street, put that in the back room. The yeah, pretty one they see the pretty out, one yeah. through the window. They don't see the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Bill, what about you? Do you uh, when do you put pick up your Christmas tree? When real fake? When when I was a kid, it was always real. Yeah. I remember our next door neighbors had one of the first artificial trees. I don't know if you ever saw it, it had sil- silver leaves on it. 
mm. and it had a little rotating light at the bottom with four different colors and so okay. it would change color as the wheel went around was that a aluminum yes yes okay i've never seen one of those it's charlie brown's christmas that's the way they're talking about the aluminum trees oh and i'm I sure our family that. was illustrative of every family of that time we would set out and it would be it's a wonderful life and by the time we got back it was christmas vacation yeah because nobody could agree on the tree that we were going to get it was always a nightmare uh today we use an artificial we'll put it up to usually the saturday after thanksgiving okay, okay. tracy's in charge of decorating i'm in charge of putting it up and mm-hmm. putting the top ornaments on okay and then everything else is her this year we're probably going to put it up a little early i okay. think a lot a lot of folks in 2020 it's uh yeah we just want a little more christmas a little right bit now. more yeah absolutely um now is this a there's also a way in which you decorate the tree when you put it up is it is it just haphazard throw throw the ornaments on there wherever they fit or is it like i have to have the the ring of blue balls here and the ring of red balls here and the ring of gold you know like some people put up the ribbons and the, well that's the reason why there's two trees james right well i understand you you've you've separated the two out but for most people with their one christmas tree uh you know how do you how do we put that together I'm sure my wife has a scheme and a system, and I just stay out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, I didn't have a, a Christmas tree, and so I, I took a bunch of my books and made a mm-hmm. book tree out of it. That was kind of – I'd never done that. I'd wanted to do that for a long time. I was really worried it was going to damage my books because there was a lot of books piled on top of each other in the right way, but then I figured out that it doesn't really hurt them at all. That may that be the fun. saddest thing so, I've ever heard. I know, James. right? Yeah. <laughs> so are you going to get a tree this year? Uh, I don't know. I guess so. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, probably. I um I thought I was gonna be sad too because I was like man I you know I want a Christmas tree but as I was putting the books together I, I like handpicked the books so they were somewhat themed for Christmas or Advent or had something to do with with church theology or whatever so that mm-hmm. like the tree the books were the ornaments and the tree at the same time oh. it's kind of cool it was kind of okay. cool and then just strung some lights around it all right so speaking I think of Christmas I saw that on Pinterest yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have been where the idea came from. of Christmas vacation how are you at outdoor illumination not at all not at all <laughs> no not at all it's not uh, Tracy will put a wreath on the door and that's about it okay I, I did the first year we were in this house four years ago I did put the landscape lighting out front so we put wreaths on all the windows and just the landscape lighting on the house and I love my neighborhood because I live in a neighborhood that is not covenant protected and so what does that mean it means that you can do whatever you want okay as long as it fits within county code you're good to go (laughs) okay and so we've got you know the green reeds the red ribbons on every window and the white lights shining on the house that sounds great if you could have that done at the parsonage next week we'd really appreciate that (laughs) the guy next door's got mickey mouse and a sleigh on the roof and a globe dancing and blowing snow in the front lawn the lawn is lit up the house is lit up like oh wow he's got everything and i love it it is like the kids are like let's go watch christmas lights and i'm like okay let's walk out in the front yard let's go out in the front yard wow yeah, that does remind me of uh, vacation, Christmas vacation when mm-hmm. we're traveling with the, the house. That is another um, Advent tradition for us. We always watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in preparation for Christmas. Is that is that like a decorating the tree kind of movie to yes. watch? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I'm wrapping lights around the tree and the kids are already in the bed, Kate and I are drinking eggnog and watching Christmas Vacation. Okay. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Now, Billy, last year you did a you did a, a, a series of uh, sermons on Christmas films, but I didn't see National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on that list. Is a <laughs> well, it's interesting. Last year I did classic Christmas movies, mm-hmm. and the original series for this year was contemporary Christmas okay. movies, okay. and it was going National it Lampoon. Included, oh, it was oh. actually on oh, there. That, yeah, that would have been excellent. That would have been excellent. But that based on fun. 2020, we changed it up. Yeah. It's going to be we need a little Christmas. Well, yeah, that's good. I like that. But Christmas. maybe next year. Hopefully, yeah. 21 looks a little better, well, and we can get so. back to let's movies. Hope so, man, that'd be great. Um, do you have um, do you have practices or or traditions that are specific to Advent that aren't necessarily about Christmas, more about the anticipation and the uh, I guess the the expectation and joy and stuff that that we usually talk about during Advent as we prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. Is there anything in particular? Like, I know some people do Advent calendars. I've never our kids done that. did those when they were growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah. You know, they have a little piece of candy or a little prize behind them, and that kind of amped up the anticipation for them yeah the advent wreath i think is always a great visual in church absolutely yeah yeah my daughter was explaining to me the candles the other day i mean i think i remembered them but she was like she's got you straightened out she's got me straightened out absolutely what about Mm -hmm. you nick did you you grow up uh really practicing advent at all i know no i didn't know about advent until i was like 20 yeah yeah me too I didn't know about it until I was, um, I think, seminary. Actually. I mean, it was basically one of those pathic, pagan Catholic traditions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Way too Catholic. Right. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. Not doing that. <laughs> what, you want me to pray to Mary next? <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Bill's glad he came. <laughs> this is brought to you by the World Ecumenical Council. <laughs> yeah, great. Yes. <laughs> We recognize all Christian faith and all faith. So as we as we um, continue to talk about Christmas traditions, we talked about the tree and we talked about uh, we talked about a little bit about some of the Advent stuff. Um, what other traditions do we do we enjoy as? Uh, as Christian believers or just individually in our own families, what are some of the traditions that you guys had in your family growing up? I don't know those specifically Christian or church, but we always watched Charlie Brown Christmas, mm-hmm. which definitely has the gospel embedded Absolutely, in it. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We had no gospel embedded right, in it, although yeah. it is transformation, you yeah, know. Yeah, there's the, something to the, that, The toys right? on Misfit Island right? get saved, yeah. 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 Uh, the Island of Misfit Toys. That was like an, a staple of my childhood, wasn't that claymation? When I was a kid, I thought it was like three hours long, but then I, when I rewatched it with Kiefer a couple years ago, it's like 28 minutes long. It's not even that long. So Frosty the Snowman's the same way. Yeah. I, I remember feeling like that movie went on forever. <laughs> oh, it's man. It's a precursor to Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> that movie never ends. That movie is something we needed to let go. <clears throat> Going to see the lights, and Nick mentioned that a minute ago. Yeah. We always got in the car and piled in. And again, it was always supposed to be a magical family tradition. You get in and halfway down the road, my sister yeah. and I were fussing and Fight fighting, and yeah. parents were, don't make me come back there. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Did you? So, Nick, when you were growing up, did you go out and look at lights? Is, there, is that something that you did as a kid? Or is it just something you force your kids to do now? <laughs> it's something that we do with the kids now. But no, I don't you remember do. doing that as a kid. Yeah, that was a big um, part of my, my childhood. For my childhood, it was always coming to visit my grandparents. Because yeah. um, for a chunk of time there, that it just has really stuck with me. I can remember coming up to visit my grandparents. We were living in Florida at the time. And my grandparents were living um, in Stockbridge. So coming to visit them. Yeah. Um, 
I remember that I would go see my grandparents and stay with them for a couple of weeks over the Christmas break. And so that was really a special kind of special time. And I'd mm-hmm. go out with my grandmother and pick out the Christmas tree. And one year I convinced her to get it frocked, you know, with the white whatever. Oh, yeah. That was a disaster. I mean, they got everywhere. It was a mess. But uh, that was a big part of the tradition. Uh, well, me. and part of getting together with that family was that family was funny. And they spent most of the time just laughing. And yeah. I just have such a memory of Christmas being joyful mm. that it was funny. And we would sit in a huge circle and take turns opening presents. And that was always the Saturday before Christmas. Really? Uh-huh. And so there was such an element of, it was merriment. And there were the food. Like, yeah. what food do you expect to see around Christmas? Yeah. Um, my grandmother would make something which was like a Chex Mix kind of a trail mix, but she called it doodads. And this stuff was delicious. It had pretzels and it had the rice checks and the wheat checks and the bagel pieces and probably some pecans or peanuts and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Had it every year. Yes. My cousin went to make it one year and made it and said it just did not taste the same and went to my grandmother and said, Grandma, what... What did I do wrong? And she said, did you add the bacon fat? Oh. <laughs> bacon bacon fat. fat. And the answer was no. <laughs> oh Come to God. find out, doodads need a, a pound of bacon fried down oh and the bacon God. fat poured in there. Oh, my God. No wonder it was delicious. <laughs> bacon fat. Because Jesus certainly enjoyed a little oh, bacon no at doubt. breakfast. No, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's appropriate for Christmas. It's fine, right? <sighs> Um, did you guys, did you guys grow up with, uh, with the tradition of Santa Claus? Did you have Santa come to your house and, and do all, did you go through that whole, yep. that whole thing? Oh, absolutely. That was a huge part. Yeah. I, when you were asking traditions, I was thinking old time Atlantans, if they're listening, Rich's used to be downtown on Forsyth street and the Santa Claus in Atlanta was down there. That and was the, the official Santa Claus. The official Claus. and the pink pig was there. Right, right. It started right. off riding through the I've heard uh, about this pink pig. toy department. Yeah. And then it moved upstairs where you got a beautiful view of the air conditioning and heating vents. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the great tree, tree was there. That's, and yeah. so when you were driving mm-hmm. down through Atlanta, if you saw the great tree in the distance, mm. that, was, that was a great, big deal. Yeah, that's cool. I've heard about the pink, the pink pig. Uh, See, you, it's, you know, it's at Linux now. Is that right? Yeah, it's not the same, but right. it's, there is a pink pig. Okay. Lynch. We oh. took the Take kids to them. Yeah, I should. That's a good idea. I want to say when Lily and Drake were young, we took them to the pink pig. I never did the pink pig growing up, but my wife did. And so she wanted to go to go see the pink pig. I didn't, I didn't know about that, though. She told me about that. One of the one of the things about uh, these traditions that that keeps kind of coming up as we were talking about it for Thanksgiving, Nick, you and I, and as we're talking about it here today, and as I've had these conversations with other people, um, it seems like it's really important for us to to pass these traditions down right to the next generation of people. Like it seems like I want my daughter to experience Christmas almost exactly like I did. You know, so I, I forced her to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade, for instance, even though she could care less about that right now. Or maybe this year would be different, but there's these different traditions and stuff that we pass down. Um, and I'm curious as to why why do we think that's so important? Why is it so important for us to kind of to have these traditions uh, move forward through the generations? Like, why is it such an important deal for us? Whether it's Christmas time or Thanksgiving or really just any time. I mean, any any tradition that we have in a family. Why is that so important? 
for me, I think it's identity. I think it's identifying who you are as an individual, as a family. If we transfer that to a religious setting, I think of uh, the Jewish Passover festival. Yeah. And why is this night different from every other night? Yeah. It, you know, it, that those traditions shape and mold who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it, we have really good feelings about those traditions, and we want our kids to have good feelings about those traditions. We want them to have the same positive experiences. The best way we know to replicate it is exactly the way we did experienced it. Right. Um, but I'm having to realize that there are some things that I'm not going to be able to replicate for my kids exactly the way it was done for me. And I'm having to get on board with the idea that they're building their own positive experiences and traditions that are good around these holidays. You say you're having to get on board with that. Is that a struggle? That a, has that been a struggle? Yeah. For you? Well, I yeah. mean, yeah, because you feel like I, unpack you, that a little for yeah, us, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you don't so who needs therapy? <laughs> I've got y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, and it's also the blending together of families. You know, sure, you, you, because you bring two different sets of traditions mm-hmm. to the yeah. house, and they have to somehow blend together. Right. When right. we got married, one of our the great conflicts of our early relationship was Tracy's family got together on Christmas Eve and opened presents. Oh, and this mine great debate Christmas, Christmas morning. Day, yeah. Plus, I was working Christmas Eve in a lot right. of the churches I was yeah. at, and yeah. so we've had to figure out our own way of doing things. I never understood people who open up their gifts on Christmas Eve. That doesn't so make wrong. any sense to me. It is it so wrong. It makes absolutely no sense to me. It's Christmas morning. That's when you rush down the stairs, or you know, you rush from your bedroom. I don't. Why would it takes away the entire magic of Christmas morning. So did Santa Claus wrap presents or not? No. No. See, Santa Claus so, didn't wrap presents. See, Santa Claus wrapped my presents. Well, Santa Claus wraps them. his presents now. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it was a present from my parents or grandparents or sister, it was, yes, they were wrapped. Yeah. But if it was Santa Claus, it was unwrapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes not totally put together because Santa was in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Santa we'll, put the handlebar, we'll put the handlebars on tomorrow. <laughs> when, when Santa had to work all Christmas Eve, you know. <laughs> that, that would make sense, Experiencing right? Experiencing that right now. <laughs> Man, I had the experience of trying to put together a bike for Kiefer last last Christmas Eve, and uh, uh, it it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. Oh, that's a fun that, one, Bill. It, what's the hardest thing you ever had to assemble on Christmas Eve? Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, other than worship services, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bicycle would definitely be at the top of that. Mm-mm. There's little extra pieces everywhere. You're like, where? Oh they, no! I don't want my kid to get I, on this bike if like the, the bolts. I, I feel like that was an introduction to your story, yeah, Nick. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I jumped right on top <laughs> of that. <laughs> right. How about you, Nick? What was the hardest thing you ever <laughs> thank had? You, yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Y'all don't know about trying to put together a Barbie dream house on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you want to talk about little parts? It's got little parts with little parts. <laughs> Barbie dream. This house. thing. It felt like you were in the third circle of hell trying to assemble <laughs> this thing after you'd been all day somewhere and then in the middle of the night trying to put together a Barbie dream house. Yeah. Oh, it was the worst. Wow. The but kids, I bet she absolutely loved it. Oh my gosh, she loved it. Was, okay, I was about to say, and was then that? it got really cute when the boys even were down. Everybody's oh, playing absolutely. with it. Like everybody that. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. I'd absolutely do it over again. But good grief. <laughs> How long did it take you? Hours. <laughs> no, do not. He doesn't know. He never finished. <laughs> <laughs> right. If, if a Barbie dream house is in the cards, you need to assemble it and hide it somewhere weeks before. <laughs> and what's the best present y'all ever gave or got? Oh, man, that's great. Um, 
I got this bow and arrow when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I got a bow and arrow, and I remember the first thing we did was take it out into the field by my grandma's house, and I, I made my brother run. Oh, no. <laughs> I just shot it up here. <laughs> <laughs> the most irresponsible thing I've ever done in my life. But it, it, well, well, she felt yeah, real bad about had, it. Yeah, well, I didn't feel Nothing happened. I didn't hit him, but you, you had least, I hit him. <laughs> you at least gave him a running start. I mean, that I did, was fair. Yeah. I was going to run. I didn't even tell him what I was doing at first, and he was just dumb enough to... <laughs> That's probably uh, that's probably the best uh, Christmas gift I can remember. Like like really uh, really that's one thing I really wanted and I got. You know. Okay, so, that's what made it good. Yeah, Something yeah. you really wanted and you mm-hmm. got. You remember the jarts? Y'all are probably too young to remember mm-hmm. those. J A R T S. They're mm-hmm. called lawn darts, and it was a game you played. You'd have kind of like a hula hoop yeah. on each side, and there were like these huge, huge darts like were pointed darts. Uh-huh. and kids would stand at each end and try to get what, what could possibly go wrong with this it's probably the reason why we haven't heard of the jarts right because of uh, little tommy little susie didn't make oh, it oh yeah it got, it got canceled before oh my gosh yeah i do i remember my grandmother had a set of those uh we weren't allowed to play with them <laughs> how about you we Nick? know why um best present given or received i think for this is you know, one of the things that came to mind is actually I got a fish in like the fourth grade a for Christmas. A fish? A fish. Like a goldfish? Frozen? It was a it was a Siamese fighting fish. It was a beta. Oh wow. And it was this aquarium was a globe and it had a light in it. And Is this something you asked for? No. <laughs> but I really did like it. It how, was really neat. How long did it live? Like two years. <laughs> oh wow. wow. It was cool. But I did not know I needed a fish, but I really liked having oh. a fish, and it was cool. So I thought it was a good gift because it was a gift that I didn't ask for and ended up okay really okay. liking it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I also got a car when I was like 19, so oh, I have to go. put that in the that's, running. That's pretty sweet, yeah. <clears throat> wow. But that seems obvious. Wow. Um, did you tell us your favorite gift? What was your favorite no, I, gift? You, I did not, but thank well, you for please, asking. Please, Bill, tell us. I, probably the one I gave is my favorite. Okay. And I mentioned uh, Sam the Yorkshire Terrier a little bit earlier. He, uh, My son, when he was 14, suddenly decided he wanted a Yorkie. We have no idea why. <laughs> and he had this months-long campaign that started in August, and the dog would send me notes. <laughs> and there would be pictures of a Yorkie on my mirror when that's I got up in smart. the morning. Yeah, that's I mean, he worked it. That's me. pretty smart. And we convinced him that was not going to happen. And Christmas Eve night, after I'd finished all the church services, we told them there was an emergency at the church. The alarm had gone off, and I went up and picked up the puppy at the breeder. Nice. And he stayed in the laundry room all morning. And when they saw that dog all night, and when they saw that dog the next morning, it was pure magic. That's I mean, awesome. It was great. That must have been amazing. Oh, wow. I never got a pet. You got a fish. You got a dog. I was never. You would have shot arrows. At I, probably so. There's probably a reason, right? Yeah. I got a little brothers. I don't need pets. Uh. <laughs> As, as we uh, approach, um, you know, 2020 has been, been quite a year um, for all of us. And, and um, Advent is a season of, of beginning again. It's a, a season of, of uh, expectation, but also a, a season of reflection. We're kind of in this weird tension where we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but we're also looking forward to the return of Christ. And um, I wonder, Bill, if, if you have any thoughts on and just as we move into a new year as Northside Church and as, as a community of faith, um, all these traditions that we've had here at Northside Church, a lot of which have been shifted and changed up, um, 
uh, over the past year. Like, um, just what what does Advent mean for you this year as we move into a new church calendar and, and a new a new year, a new uh, year ahead? I think there are two ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, I do think this is a more somber and reflective Advent than we have had in at least my history, my memory. Yeah. Perhaps with the exception of 9-11. Yeah, yeah. But I do think there is a, a renewed sense of how precious and fragile life is and being able to get together with family or not being able to get together with yeah. family has accentuated that. On the other hand, I truly do think we, we named the Advent series, We Need a Little Christmas, because I think that's where people are at. Yeah. You're seeing decorations up everywhere. People need some hope. They need some laughter. They need some joy. Yeah. And I think that's what the church has to offer. And you're right. A lot of the traditions that we've offered, the normal things that we have done have been stripped away. But hopefully people can focus on the true meaning of the season yeah. and what, what's at the heart of the nativity. Absolutely. And like Nick, like you were saying before, I mean, sometimes you got you have new traditions, right? And it's mm-hmm. not always easy to, to shift those, but at least for a year, you know. It is really about getting to the the true meaning, and we say that every year. Every year we're talking about what's the reason for the season, right? I, know, the I feel like I'm in a reality TV show, right? And and yet, I think with some distractions and other traditions kind of stripped away from us, not without, not not by our choosing, what are we left with? What are we left with? We're left with the actual, you know, birth of Jesus Christ, and then what that means for us as Christians. I think that's pretty powerful. I do too, James. <laughs> I've got a, if I may say, a great line in the sermon please coming up. <laughs> oh, the people would love a preview. Yes, please. The Advent series, we're looking at the Advent race since you asked. Yeah. Uh, and, and the symbolism of the Advent <laughs> candles, by the way, means high for no. What does the Advent mean? Uh, the four candles are uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. But one of the statements, and it's probably not original unto me, is that for the Christian, we're filled with hope because our best days are always before us. Yeah. If you truly believe what we say we believe, that we're heaven-bound, that yeah. we've got life, but in life, everlasting life, that that really means our best days are before us, mm-hmm. and that fills me with a sense of assurance and peace. Yeah, that really does. Um, and that, I mean, that's what Christmas is supposed to be about. Uh, was it Frederick Buechner who said this, Bill? You might know. I, I can't remember who the original. He or Mark Twain, yes. Yeah, it's probably, or maybe Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Uh, that that being a resurrection people means that you know the worst things that happen to us are never the last things that happen to us. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, that's a great line. I can't remember for I can't remember for life of me who said it first. I think it was Bill Birch. I'm not sure. Might have been. I actually I think I might have heard that in one of your sermons. Um, but that that's part of what being an Advent people is about too. Not just being a resurrection people, but being a people who are looking to a new year and looking to a, a new hope and new joy and the expectation. That um, you're right. The the best days are always ahead of us, uh, no matter what we've been through in the past year uh, of our life. Um. Christmas Day is coming up, and, and Christmas Eve, as you've already alluded to, Bill, uh, is a really busy time for you and for a lot of people at the church and staff and stuff. And I'm curious as to whether or not. Um, I guess I'm thinking of people in my family, uh, and particularly the women in my family growing up, who were always working on Christmas. Like, they're making dinner, or they're wrapping gifts, or they're doing whatever. Um, I wonder if you have some wisdom for people like that, or if you can speak to, like, how do you find, like, true rest and joy and, and comfort on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day when 
man, it's like a constant, like, go, go, go kind of scenario. I think it's a great question, and, and the answer I'm still learning. I think it requires a lot of intentionality. I wrote a blog a few weeks, excuse me, a few years ago, and I've started rerunning it every year. And it talks about celebrating an earlier and earlier Christmas because I have all these plans, all these things I'm going to do, and then it's December 26th. Yeah. And I think it's a mindfulness of being where you're at, of enjoying the moment. Yeah. And it's a lesson I have to learn over and over again. I'm that guy who at the family meal is getting up to clean the table and get all the dishes in the dishwasher and get everything straightened in the kitchen where I ought to park my tail in a chair and just sit there at the yeah. table and enjoy the family. Yeah. I, yeah. That's good. That's a good advice. Intentionality, being in the moment. Nick, is that, around your house, who's the, who's the one that's always running and going? You got four kids. I'm hoping it's both of you. It, you know, it takes a lot of work to make Christmas perfect, James. Yeah, it does. I think and Kate does a great job. <laughs> and she does, Kate fantastic does job. a great job. <laughs> no, I do think that is that is one of the challenges of Christmas, and that for me is where everything, particularly once we had kids, you stop all the traveling on Christmas Day, or at least we did, and Christmas Day became about the just me and Kate and the yeah. four kids and and that time to just stop and focus was Christmas Day. Yeah. Um madness, absolute madness leading up to Christmas Day. Right, right. But when you get to Christmas Day, relax. Everything stops. Yeah. One of the things that I started doing that I think helped me with this and it's a tradition that I never practiced growing up, but one that I adopted as I got older. And just a few years ago, maybe just since my daughter was born, is to take the um, take seriously the twelve days of Christmas to truly celebrate and 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 try to stretch Christmas out over twelve days, um, which means for me it's an extra like almost two weeks to fit in like all the movies that I didn't get before oh, you know, December twenty sixth, right? Yeah. And and so you know you do the normal Christmas Day stuff, you do the dinner and you do the presents and stuff, but you know if you didn't get mm-hmm. to hear the album or the hear the watch the movie that you wanted to do or whatever Christmas traditions you may have. Like celebrating those twelve days of Christmas as a as a true festival of Christmas for me is has given me a little extra time, so I don't feel as rushed, right, and and feel as as crowded as as uh, as typically we do become during the Christmas season. See now, James, I didn't learn there was twelve days of Christmas until I was twenty either. Yeah. So <laughs> you never heard the song Twelve Days of Christmas? It didn't make any sense, James. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to say I have embraced that a bit too. Yeah. That that. Christmas doesn't end on December 27th, 26th. <laughs> Christmas. I'm going to redo a- that. The day after Boxing Day is <laughs> yes, when yes. Christmas ends. So there's three days of Christmas for New Year's, <laughs> but not 12. Um, Christmas isn't over after Christmas Day. Right, right. Um, I don't know that I have been successful in making it all the way to January the 6th. Yeah. Um, but definitely through New Year's is still yeah. Christmas. Yeah, I think that's I think that's traditionally accepted. I I don't won't take my Christmas tree down until Epiphany until like a tw- it's like a twelfth night the twelfth night of Christmas kind of ceremony where you take down the Christmas tree, unstack those books, Unst- right? Unstack the books, file them back in their alphabetical location. You're right by author. You know, by it's author. a southern suspicion if you have your tree up after New Year's, that's it's bad luck. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Oh well, then I got some bad luck. <laughs> Ours usually comes down the twenty sixth. We're done. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Is that right? Okay. Yeah. That's no, a, that took way too much energy to do. I'm not taking it down yeah, the day after. That's going to be a nice Fourth of July situation. Right there. <laughs> well, that's the nice thing about the neighbor and his lights. You know, them things stay up all year long. <laughs> Mickey's just deflated on the back of the house. We 
we had a neighbor uh, growing up who left their Christmas tree up uh, almost all year. I mean, that it wasn't like a one-year thing. That's like what they did. They just left it up, and they would change the decorations to match holidays. And then it would disappear after the 4th of July, and then reappear uh, after Thanksgiving. It was weird. It's not a really good story, but I thought I'd share that with you guys. Th- thank you for sharing, James. <laughs> Bill, do you have any um, anything that you want to let the people of Northside know as we as we enter now into the season of Advent and Christmas coming up and share share a word with the people of Northside? Certainly, I I realize it's been a difficult year for all of us. We all name that, we claim it. It's been difficult in various ways for different people. I think now more than ever, it's a time when we turn to what's important. It's God, relationship with God, family spend time and invest your energy and efforts in what that is. Yeah. I encourage you to make worship a central part of your Advent experience. So we are excited about our series on Sunday mornings and look forward to discovering how we all need a little Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Nick, do you got anything you want to say to the people? I don't need to say anything to the people. I think I've said enough on this podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. But I do want to say thanks to Bill for being here because I absolutely. really enjoyed having him on. I'm glad Bill, he was thank able you. to thank get you on. Thank you very much for well, taking the time to be here. Thank you for finally inviting me. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Northside, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Peace.